Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Jason Jimenez here. So glad, as always, to be with you guys here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for your prayers. I just get excited. I pray you're excited as we continue our study, our chronological study of the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. This is part seven of Thursday night podcast 102. There's a lot there. Thursday night is a very meaty night. This is the night in which Jesus was betrayed. But if you've missed anything on a previous podcast, always go to standstrongministries.org. Our notes are available there. When you click on podcast, we go deeper. So it's kind of like a commentary. So if you've just been listening to the podcast, but you've been missing out of those notes, take advantage of that. You can always go back to the archives. But because Thursday night has been so extensive, and this is part seven, as I mentioned earlier, it's important that you go back maybe and you can at least look at the notes and kind of follow along because there's a lot of meat that Jesus is giving his disciples during that Passover meal. And then, of course, they take communion. And we know the beautiful portrayal of what Jesus is pointing to uh, with his disciples. Well, now where we pick things up, where we left off, I should say, it was in John 15 at the end. And so now we're going to be picking up in John chapter 16. And we're going to be seeing Jesus heading over into the Garden of Gethsemane where we see the priestly prayer of Jesus. So that's what we're going to be covering today. So bear with me because these two chapters, there's a lot there. So this podcast may be a little bit long, but I want to end uh, Thursday night's teaching with with part seven here. Um, and, and in order to do that, we will cover a little bit more ground. So let me just dive right in. In John chapter 16, so if you have a Bible, you can turn on or turn to to John chapter 16, verse one, where Jesus says, I have said all these things, to you to keep you from falling away. So right off the bat, one of the things that we see that Jesus is saying to his disciples up to this point, remember, he's been covering a lot of ground. He washed their feet. He talked about authority. He talked about the power of the Holy Spirit that would come upon them. And in John chapter 15, if you go back to verse 27, he says, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So he's going back to the, the book of Isaiah. He's talking about the forthcoming empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the future that will take place with Christians as they live out the gospel. And so he's saying, I've told you all these things to keep you from falling away. Now, Judas Iscariot, obviously that night had just betrayed, it was about to betray Jesus and Satan entered him. And what Jesus is saying literally in the Greek, is he saying, I have said these things to you, again, to encompass all the things he talked about up to that point uh, during the Passover meal. And he's saying, you will face many obstacles. And so I've shared these things so that you can overcome them. And then in verse two, he says, they will put you out of the synagogues. So now he's being prophetic. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. So what Jesus is doing here is he's transitioning his warning of coming persecution and also excommunication. And this is building from going 
If you go back to John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. So he's saying to them that there's going to be many people in Judaism who will persecute them for thinking of Jesus as Messiah and doing service to God for the glory of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If you go back to Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and chapter 26, 9 through 11 with the Apostle Paul, and he talks about a, a different gospel that would come forth in Galatians chapter 1, 13 through 14, people are going to persecute the Messianic Jews, if you will, the new Christians in the early church, because they're going to be teaching blasphemy. Now, obviously, they're teaching truth, but but according to the Jews who've rejected Jesus, they're just another cult. And then he says in verse 4, But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, remember, if you go back to John chapter 14 and John 15, there we see that Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. That's like the main topic, the main subject matter, if you will. And Jesus continues that in John 16 about the purposes of why he needs to go. And he's clarifying a little bit now up to this point to show the role in which the Holy Spirit, not just empowering them in John 15, 27, but notice the Holy Spirit is a helper who will help them when he leaves. And then we, we're going to see in a minute in verses 8, 9, and 10, the role in which the Holy Spirit will play in directing our lives as a Christian. So he's comforting He's comforting his disciples as he's warning them of the coming persecution and excommunication. You're going to have a helper who's going to comfort you in the midst of this. Now, this phrase where he says, where are you going? You know, Peter's asking this question. If you go back to John chapter 13, verse 36, Thomas, the same thing in John chapter 14, verse 5. So he's bringing it full circle and he's giving this implication that they're going to be cared for and the impact that they're going to have uh, in, in, in the world is going to it's going to advance the gospel and so the future state of where Jesus is going to be they don't need to be concerned about that matter of fact they're going to be pro- proclaiming the gospel in the in the powerful name of Jesus through the help of the holy spirit so when he says the helper will not come to you if unless he, if he if he continues to tarry and remain salvation in the in essence what he's saying is not going to be complete so if you're going to be ultimately saved i must go in order for the Holy Spirit to come, because you and I know to be born again, to be a child of God, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And it starts with us confessing with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we shall be saved. And the moment in which we confess Christ as Lord and Savior, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just this activity around the Holy Spirit. The next phase that's going to happen with the Holy Spirit is the indwelling and the empowering of him in the life of each person as they represent the church. And that was something he said in John 14, verses 16 through 17. So he's giving more clarity as to why he needs to be going. So they're not to be concerned about that. And then notice he says in verse eight, he says, and when he, that is the helper, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict. That means he will reprove. He will expose the world concerning sin and righteousness, which means doing the requirements of God and enacting justice and judgment. Now he says in verse nine to clarify what he means by the conviction that's going to come uh, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He says concerning sin because they do not believe in me. 
and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And then he says in verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now, obviously, again, Jesus has been covering a lot of ground and he's talking about this coming salvation. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming in a way that they've never experienced the Holy Spirit. Now, at this point, this is important because remember, he's about to die for the sins of mankind. And on the third day, he would rise again. And of course, there, within the 40 days before he ascends to heaven, there's going to be additional teachings that Jesus is going to give, people he's going to impact, people that he's going to have these personal conversations. In the case that we see with Peter, he pulls him aside and restores him. But ultimately, everything that Jesus needed to say, he's saying up to this point, this is the last few hours that he has. And he's saying, there's so much more I can tell you. But at this point in time now, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that's going to come and hit them in Jerusalem, remember, in a powerful way, in a dynamite way. And they're going to go into all the world and they're going to present the gospel and they're going to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the New Testament. So there are things to come. So Jesus is saying, that's going to be the, the, the role of the Holy Spirit to come to teach you guys these things. And so it's important based on what Jesus is saying here and in our lives today as a Christian, there are three key areas that we need to see the Holy Spirit working in our lives. It's, a, it's, it's surrounding sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us in, right? He shows us, he reveals these things, the truth of God to cause us to repent. Now, the righteousness is to be more like his son, it was true justice that Christ paid for the penalty of sin and death according to Romans 6.23. But he offers a gift in return. It's eternal life to those who accept Christ as Lord and Savior. That's true justice. Now, we know that we are saved because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Romans 6.4 reminds us that we've been buried and but we rose again and have newness of life. And we are, we are as a Christian, to walk in the spirit and to be in step with the spirit and not fulfill the gratifications of the flesh because we're told in Ephesians 2 verse 1 that we're dead to those sins and we're alive in Christ and you see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 4 you see the new man and these new attributes these new qualities well that's all concerning the righteousness as Peter will later discuss in his epistles and certainly the apostle Paul but right now Jesus is conveying these these highlight reels, if you will, that they're going to understand these things in time as the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then judgment, he says, that's the third aspect we have to remember about the Holy Spirit because remember, Jesus took on the judgment and he died to it. And the Holy Spirit in the, in the church age where we're currently at right now is going to act as Christ's advocate to the world. He's going to be conveying and illuminating God's truth through his uh, spirit about his son to the world. So you see this magnificent role that the Holy Spirit is about to play. And then Jesus says in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, remember he referred to him as a helper, as a comforter, a parakolitos who was going to come alongside you that he was talking about back in John chapter 14. Now he refers to the spirit as the spirit of truth that he comes. Remember, Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you, meaning I speak the truth. I fulfilled everything that the father's called me to do. And then the third person of the Trinity, the spirit of truth is going to come and he will guide you into all the truth. So he's not going to contradict Jesus in any way for he will not speak on his own authority, Jesus says, but whatever he hears, he will speak 
and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. And all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus, in essence, my friend, is saying that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us into absolute truth. And this is a beautiful display, once again, of the Trinity of truth. Now, the NIV Jesus Bible says it like this, quote, The disciples, like many believers throughout history, did not understand what Jesus was promising. They undoubtedly would have preferred for Jesus to stay with them. But Jesus emphasized the benefits of the Spirit's indwelling when he said, It is for your good, for your advantage, that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. John 16, 7. After the Spirit came at Pentecost, Acts 2, 1-18, the disciples must have remembered Jesus' teaching about the ministry of the Holy Spirit when he said in John 16, verse 8, When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So you see, my friends, the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our life. There's not just the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's not just the the filling of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. And as I mentioned earlier, walking in the Spirit that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we told, we're told in that same passage in Galatians chapter 5, you see the fruit of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And He will guide us into all truth. So even right now in your life, if you are lacking wisdom, if you're lacking power, if you've been consumed by uh, you know, worry and anxiety or there's a particular sin in your life or you feel this oppression or this influence of the dominion of darkness, you need to be guided by the power of the Holy Spirit. He will lead you in all truth. If you've been buying the lies, if you're in a relationship that's messed up, you're not being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. And so you need to cry out to the Lord and ask for the Holy Spirit to consume your life, my friends. That is so key. Just look at the transformation power that the Holy Spirit played in the life of Peter. You had a man who was very outspoken. You had a man who took his eyes off of Jesus. You had a man who cut Mal- Malchus's ear off. You had a man who went back to fishing because he was a distraught and he was hurting because he lost his master, his rabbi, his savior, and he was confused. And you, and, and, and leading up to that, remember, he denied, he cursed him three different times and ran away bitterly sorrowful. But yet, in Acts chapter 2, he was filled with the Holy Spirit because he was praying and he was promised by Jesus to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Helper to come. I, I believe that Jesus... When he was speaking these words right now that we're seeing in John 16, these were the words that Peter was thinking about weeks later after the resurrection of Jesus and after he ascended from Mount of Olives. And so these, this is significant, but I don't want us to miss the point in our lives today of where the Holy Spirit is at in our life. We, again, you could be a Christian listening to this podcast right now. You know Christ is your Lord and Savior. You know that you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The question is, though, are you quenching? the work of the Spirit. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, we're not to quench the Holy Spirit. And the Bible also says in Ephesians 4, 30, that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And there are many times in our lives, my friends, where we do that. 
we ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he will guide you into all truth. So when the Holy Spirit's convicting you about something, you need to trust him. You need to, to listen and obey. Now notice these words in this transition point when Jesus says here in verse 16, a little while you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the father. So they were saying that, that in the Greek here, they're having this extensive dialogue, I believe, as they're walking to the garden possibly. And they kept asking themselves. So they were asking within their own hearts. They're contemplating it, pondering it within themselves. But they're also getting into these discussions with the rest of the disciples. And we're told here in verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So here, my friends, Jesus obviously is on the verge of dying and he'll rise again, but shortly he'll be back with the Father. But in that He's saying very briefly here, he's going to return very soon. Now, it's kind of weird because we think he said this 2,000 years ago and we're still waiting. You're thinking that's a long time. Well, in our perspective, it is here on earth, but not according to Jesus. He will return very soon. However, this was a, this was very foreign to the disciples at the time because, see, we have the finality of Scripture and we can look at it. And, of course, we're 2,000 years later. And so, yes, we believe that Jesus is on the precipice of returning. But you have to understand, even in, the, in this time, pre-resurrection, Jesus was going to be returning very soon. So there was a lot of confusion here, just like there's a lot of confusion surrounding the return of Christ, the rapture, the second coming, the millennial kingdom, all that kind of stuff. And so there were a lot of conversations that they were leaving with from the upper room that was causing some confusion. And so what Jesus does is he ties it in by using this this illustration of a woman giving birth. And he's explaining that his departure will be like a mother giving birth, that there's going to be sorrow. There's going to be pain at first, like death. And they're going to be there and they're going to mourn that. And they're going to be shocked and they're going to be distraught. But the promise of joy will follow because the resurrection will lead to the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that is so true today. Right now, my friends, things can seem very bleak you could be very lost and confused and torn about something, but there's going to be light in the midst of it. Remember, 1 Peter chapter 1 reminds us that when we're being tried, that the impurities come to the surface and they're wiped clean and they have that shiny gold. And so sometimes you're being refined. It doesn't seem hopeful. It seems hopeless. But God always has his sovereign, miraculous way to bring things back to its natural state and, to, and, and for it to flourish. And, and Jesus is giving hope to his disciples, just like as you and I are reading this right now, that it gives hope to you and to me. Because notice in verse 23, he says, 
In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is something Jesus reiterated in John 14, John 15, and now here in John 16. So after Jesus departs, remember the disciples in the forthcoming church, they'll seek the Father in the name of Christ, and they're going to be praying, and they're going to be making petitions in the name of Jesus, right? But through the power of the Spirit. Remember, the Bible tells us later in the New Testament that we are to pray in the Spirit. And so they're going to be praying in the Spirit of truth with joy. We see this in John 14, 13, John 15, 7, and also verse 11 in here in John 16, verse 23 and 24. So that you have to take these verses, my friends, as I have learned to do. And remind myself through the teachings of Jesus that why have I not received something? Why am I not receiving the joy? Why am I not, why am I not receiving the blessing? Is there sin in my life? Do I, am I preventing the Holy Spirit from convicting me in sin, righteousness, and judgment? Am I not asking anything in the name of Christ according to his will? And you have to repent of that. The, the, we sometimes get so confused or disoriented, think, well, I don't want to come off too selfish. Remember, I am his child. You're his child. If God has called you to pray faithfully in the power of the Spirit for something miraculous to come, you need to do it. It's not about looking at God as a, as a vending machine. It's looking at him, again, as the author and perfecter of our faith. And if God's going to use you in the short time that you and I have on earth, and he's given you the abilities and the opportunities to exercise uh, the gifts in a, in a glorious way to bring people to Christ, to disciple more people, to bring more healing, then we need to do it. And we need to pray in faith that that's going to happen. Could you imagine if the disciples who became apostles uh, anticipated great things to come because of their own vision and not through the power of the Holy Spirit? If they didn't, if they're too disruptful or too impatient to wait in Jerusalem and start to go out there proclaiming Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we are to pray faithfully and ask whatever it is. Uh, and God says here, Jesus says here, that we will receive it so that our joy may be full. And that's another indication, by the way, that when you, you, when you and I are praying God's will to be done in our lives, but when you're filled with joy, my friends, and many of you I'm sure have experienced this, and you're excited and there's just this peace, even if things in your life are not like right on and they're pretty messy, but you're like, Lord, I just have this joy. I just have this peace. I can't explain it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So let's now take a look at verse 25 and following where Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech, meaning he's talking about in enigmas. And he says, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the father. And that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So in this upper room experience that the disciples had, this last meal with Jesus before he dies, he's using these symbolic images, this figurative language as he's about to go to the garden or they're on their way to the garden. And he's revealing the truth to his disciples when he washed their feet 
He talked about the vine and the branches. He talked about the birth of the baby to come and things will be sorrowful, but then joy will come. And although Jesus is about to depart, I love this because he's reassuring his disciples whom he loves that they will have direct access to the Father. That's going to come. We're told that in Romans chapter 5. And they're going to have access to their Heavenly Father who loves them. And they're going to have access through Jesus according to John 15, 9 through 16. They're going to experience, my friends, a relationship with God that the Jewish people had never experienced. And what a great joy as we're studying the life and teachings of Jesus Christ here on the podcast that we have that relationship with him. In verse 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So this spiritual development of the disciples is quite clear at this point. However, obviously, they're going to face many trials and persecutions that's going to challenge their faith. Yet, here's the amazing thing as a Christian, my friends, we will let him down. We will fail him, but Jesus' promises will keep us coming back to him again. We will endure because our faith is in the object of who God is. And we know that our faith has overcome the world because Christ defeated sin and death. And now we turn to the high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 26. I think that this is very beneficial in context because as we've been seeing in John 14, John 15, as we just read it here in John 16, when you, you, you do not have because you've not asked in my name, ask and it will be given to you. My father will give it to you. Jesus continues to tell his people as, as we're reminded right now to pray in faith to pray God's will be done. Notice when you and I love him, when you and I are thinking we're alone, we're not alone. Why? Because God loves us. And it's the peace that surpasses all our understanding that we talk about, right? That takes place in our prayer life. When things are very chaotic, when we feel very restless, when we're very stressed out, but when we get on our knees and we seek the Lord, D.L. Moody says, he who kneels the most stands the best. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Remember, when the Holy Spirit came upon them in the upper room, they were what? They were praying. So they took this literally. And the Christian life is about prayer, praying in faith in the powerful name of Jesus. And, and now we get to see Jesus, how he prayed. This isn't just the sinner's prayer, the Lord's prayer, whatever you want to call it, in Matthew 6 and the Sermon on the Mount. This is him communicating now to the Father and we get a glimpse into the prayerful life, which is very rare. We know that Jesus prayed often and he did perfectly the things that the father had called him to do, according to John chapter four and elsewhere. But we get a glimpse into the actual words that Jesus prayed the night in which he was betrayed. And he says here in verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, father, the hour has come for his death. That, that's what he's referring to. He says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. 
So this is truly the Lord's prayer. And I love, oftentimes I find myself, I don't know if you do this, my friends, but I often find myself turning to John 17 and just, and just letting it speak to my heart because this prayer is interrelated to the messages that are recorded throughout the gospel of John. In this priestly prayer, what Jesus is doing is he's transitioning from his earthly ministry to his intercessory ministry for his future church. The amazing thing is we're told right now that Jesus is making intercession for us in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 through 26. Isn't that amazing to think about that? And this is what we're seeing right now. He's conveyed all these things. He's about to give up his life and he's in transition now to take on this intercessory ministry. And there are many recorded times when we see that Jesus went off to pray. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we don't know what he prayed in Matthew 14, 23 or Luke chapter five or 16, but he's here praying and saying, glorify your son because Jesus will atone for the sins of mankind and he will be glorified by the father and the authority that he will have over all flesh. Christ will exercise his authority. And that's where we're at in the church age, my friends. Things are uh, are pretty bad in the world around us. But guess what? Christ has authority over creation. He has authority over demons. We are told that Satan is a defeated foe. We're told that he was in us is greater than he was in the world. So the prince of the power of the air has no rights over us because we belong to Christ. Jesus has authority of all the cults, all, all the religions. No one can perform miracles because they're not God. Only God can perform miracles in his creation. So, the, so Christ's power, his authority is overall. We see the preeminence of Christ in Ephesians chapter one and Colossians chapter one. So take heart, my friends. Don't let your doubts consume you to the point where you take your eyes and your focus off of the, the authority of who Christ is. Notice you and I have eternal life because he says here in verse three, because eternal life is that you may know who he is, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he have sent. This is a message again, John three, John five, John six, John seven, that he has continually uh, conveyed to the populace and to his inner circle. And he says in verse four, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me all to do. You see this humility that Jesus portrays in this prayer, and he's proclaiming the fulfillment that God has given him to lay out the plan of salvation. Now, remember, salvation comes of God, and Jesus is the Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit's going to be the Siller, according to Ephesians 1, verse 13, until the day of redemption. So they all have a part to play in salvation. And so one of the things that gives us a glimpse into prayer is that when we come before God, what, what are you praying to God? What are you thanking him uh, that you've accomplished in his name? What purpose have you had in advancing the kingdom of God? And so that's one of the things that, that Jesus is having a conversation with the father is how he accomplished the work that he was given to do. In verse five, he says, and now father glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I love this because here Jesus is praying for his return to have that shared glory with his father. This is something we see from the very beginning in John chapter one, verses one through four and John chapter eight, verse 58 and John chapter 12, verse 41. And we see it here in John 17, verse five, Jesus will go from humiliation to glorification in a matter of weeks. And, and, and Jesus says here in the prayer that I have 
revealed your truth because I'm God in the flesh. I perfectly reflected the splendor of your glory as creator to all the earth. Now, remember, Moses was but a mere reflection of God in Exodus chapter 34, 29 through 35, but Jesus was the embodiment. Jesus was in perfect nature, human flesh and divine, and you see them coalesced in Christ as the person. And it, it's a brilliant portrayal. Never been done, my friends, because there's only one God. And Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came and the Bible says he revealed the glory. And so when he was praying, he wanted to be back with the Father. And so just a quick little insight for us. When we pray, there needs to be a longing that we portray to God, that we want to be with him, not just in the presence here on earth, because again, we see things dimly. We're in the body of death, but we should long, my friends, every single day, no matter what we're going through, what we're experiencing, what kind of relationships we're in, whatever mission or purpose you have in life, whatever test you're about to take, whatever job interview you're about to go into, or whatever project you're trying to finish for your company, whatever church that you serve at, the point is when we pray, there needs to be a longing to be with God. There needs to be that sense of urgency that, that that desire to be with him and to find rest and refuge because he's our strong tower. You see here in verse six, Jesus says, I have manifested, meaning I have revealed your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me and they have kept, meaning they have observed, they have obeyed your word. Now they know, which means an irrevocable, there's no doubting. They absolutely know, he says, that everything that you have given me is from you. Jesus continues to say in verse 8, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So one of the things that Jesus acknowledges to the Father in this prayer is that there are many people, in particular the disciples, Again, not just the inner circle and, and the surrounding ones, except for Judas Iscariot. But there are many people who believed in the message in the person of Christ. And so Jesus is acknowledging that. And he says here in verse 9, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. So Jesus also prays for you and me. So right here we have in scripture of Jesus praying for me and praying for you, my friend. Isn't that awesome? He's praying right here for the future followers that his will will be fulfilled in you and through you. So take comfort in that, my friends. He says in verse 11, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So Jesus fully knew that he was gonna die that he was going to be buried and that he was going to rise from the dead and afterward ascend to the Father in heaven that he's going to have that glorification to come. So he says in verse 12, while I was with them, I kept, meaning I safeguarded, I protected them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. So as Jesus prays, he's reflecting on how he protected his disciples He's praying in the future for you and me. And he also then refers to Judas Iscariot, 
whom he knew would betray him. You go back to John 6, 37 and 40, John 6, 44, John 13, 2 and verses 10 through 11. I love this because it reminds us that when people let us down, when there is an enemy, if you will, someone who does something in our lives, we are still to pray for them. We're told in the Sermon on the Mount that we're to love our enemies. Jesus reflects back on how he guided his disciples as he's thinking about them. So oftentimes when you're in prayer, my friends, there's that meditation and there's the contemplation and there's God recalling things in your life and you're reflecting on them and you're giving him praise or you're anticipating something where he brings something to the surface and reminds you of something. Jesus is reflecting back on the ministry and how God used him and how he was uh, investing in the lives of the disciples and anticipating what they're going to do, except obviously of Judas Iscariot, because the reality is not everyone will come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And then he says here in verse 13, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. There it is. In the end, Jesus starts with joy and he continues to pray in this prayer about joy, which is another indication for us that when we pray, we need to be praying for the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. So my friends, if you're not, remember Jesus prayed for joy to be fulfilled in us and you need to be praying for that and rest assured that it's gonna come. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So here we see in this portion of Jesus's prayer in verses 13 through 15, that Jesus is praying that God would protect him. God the Father would protect them from Satan and that his followers will do the continual work that they're tasked to do. And as Jesus reflects on how he protects his disciples, now he's praying for the continual protection that the father will have for his children. He says in verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So this is an emphasis of them remaining pure while they live in the world. So when you and I are struggling with temptation, when you and I want to give into the flesh and, and you're just tempted to do something that you know that you shouldn't do. We've all been there as fallen creatures, right? But we're redeemed through the blood of Christ. Notice verse 17, Jesus says, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, verse 17, in the truth. Your word is truth. Remember he talked about in John 16, the spirit of truth. And now he's saying the word is truth. Jesus is truth. The scriptures is truth. And when you and I accept Christ as Lord and Savior, we're imputed with his righteousness. And when the Holy Spirit who indwells us convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, we're living according to what God has called us to do. And when we partake of his word that sanctifies us, we'll be restored. So that's why when you're struggling, you need to be in prayer. You need to be praying for these things in faith, my friends. You need to be looking to the word of God to sanctify your heart. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent, that's the word that we get for the word apostle because it's apostello, meaning to be called out. He says, you've sent them out into the world and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So here real quickly, Jesus chose sanctified and called out the disciples to go out into the world, making his name known to the world. Now in the case for Christ's study Bible, it states, quote, 
I sanctify myself phrase, this statement appears to be unparalleled. In the Septuagint, the pre-Christian Greek translation of the Old Testament, the verb is used of consecrating priests in Exodus 28, verse 41, and sacrifices in Exodus 28, 38, and Numbers 18, 9. Jesus solemnly sets himself apart to do God's will, which at this point meant his death, that they too may be sanctified. Jesus died on the cross not only to save us, but also to consecrate us to God's service, end quote. Verse 20 says, Now, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So in this portion of Jesus's prayer, he's talking about unity, which reminds us as we pray, one of the things that we need to be seeking is that as we're united in Christ, as the Bible says, and that that's the case, which it is, we need to be praying for the unity in the body of Christ, according to Ephesians chapter four, verse six. You and I know that we have eternal life because of what Christ has done for us. We know that when we turn to the power of God's word, uh, it teaches us, it trains us, it equips us to do the things that God has called us to do. There's unity perfectly within the Godhead and Christ has given us that unity by laying down his life and rising again on the third day. So you and I need to be praying that unity happens in not only our relationship with him, but the relationships that we have pe with people around us. Because notice in verse 22, he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. So remember, he's saying, I'm giving you joy. I'm praying for your protection. I'm praying that you be sanctified. And now he's saying, I want you to be glorified that they may be one even as we are one. Now, that does not make us little gods. What he's saying in this depiction of going back to the prophet Isaiah proclaiming God's glory to Israel, this indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that's going to come is going to reveal God's glory in us, according to Colossians 1 verse 27. And so that's going to be the sanctifying power that we see that will take place. And then he says in verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, that means mature, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as even as you have loved me. So one of the things, again, is Jesus talking about the reality of salvation that's given through eternal life. We thank the Lord every time that we pray, my friends, for the eternal life that we have. And that we are always praying that we would grow in maturity and love for God. And then he says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What Jesus is saying is he's talking about the restoration to come, that everything's going to go back to its original state, which gives us insight again, my friends, as we've been looking at Jesus's priestly prayer and learning how we ought to be praying. And one of the things that gives us insight here in verse 24 is that as we pray before God, that we also anticipate the restoration, the culmination to come. And that is one thing I pray. So when there's sin in the world, when there needs to be restoration, I pray, God, restore this. God, bring it back to its original state. I know you will one day, and I pray that you give me the patience to continue to, to anticipate that to come. So pray that in your life too, my friends, not just in your here and now, whatever little circumstances, but in the totality of the universe, knowing that Christ will one day rule and reign and all things will be made new. So that should always be the focal point as we pray that we anticipate the will of God forever. 
And then verse 25 says, Oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So here in conclusion of Jesus's prayer, he summarizes what he had prayed to his righteous and holy father. And that is that he prays that the love of the father, catch this my friends, will be replicated in all future believers in his church in which he's the head and that you and I will partake and that we will share in that great love to the rest of the world. That's what Jesus is praying here as he anticipates what is to come. So what we're going to do is we're going to stop here, my friends, and we're going to pick things up when Jesus goes into the Mount of Olives. And that's going to start a whole different topic now as we're looking at probably late Thursday night, early into Friday morning. So tune in next time as we cover those things. But before I end this podcast, I just want you to take heart and reflect on what we discussed today because the gist of it was looking at John 17 and taking a lot of the principles that we see in the structure of Jesus's prayer. Now, obviously that was a prayer that he gave the night in which he was betrayed. But what we see revealed before us was ways that we can be praying more diligently in the power of the spirit. And I pray that you would take that, not as, again, not formulaically, but more or less in, in principle that you can understand what we need to be emphasizing as we come before the Father, just like Jesus did to the Heavenly Father. And may that be a blessing and may that enrich your prayer life that you would see dramatic things take place as a result. So as always, my friends, thank you so much for tuning in here at Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.